Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? I'm Maya, and I am the host of What Was Her Name? Um, This is actually going to be our final episode of season three. Um, It's kind of wild that it's already come to a close, and each season I um, share 12 stories um, of 12 individuals who have experienced uh, domestic abuse. And this episode, I feel like, um, is something that, uh, like it's the final episode of season three. And I always notice that the three seasons that I've shared, um, how important it is. And when I'm seeking guests, sometimes, um, timing won't work out and trying to find time zones and like make make it all work to interview each other. Like it just doesn't work sometimes, but I think that Kayla is someone who I have been like wanting to have on the podcast for a hot (laughs) sec. And so I'm super pumped that she's on this season. And I don't think it's a coincidence that she is the final person on season three because she's meant to be on season three. And so um, that means that there are people listening to this, whether it be um, here on Thursday or it be a month or a year in advance, and you're going to hear this story and there's a reason why you're listening to this. So I'm really eager to get started. And yeah, Kayla, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, I'm already emotional. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Um, oh, I think this is so amazing that you do this and you give us like a space to share mm-hmm. our stories and um, alongside someone who can relate and, you know, obviously, like I always tell people, it's really unfortunate that this is how we find each other or how we've made a connection, but it also shows that like we're not alone. And I feel like that's so important. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Kale, like the vegetable. Uh, <laughs> I am 25 years old. And I don't know what else do I say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a mom. My son is four. He'll be five in March. And his name is Kendrick. Mm. So a question that I typically um, like, like to ask first is like when you met. Um, I know that <clears throat> you are out and that you have a little boy. And I've been following your story. Um, for those who are listening who don't know Kale, um, she shares her story publicly, um, of her experience with domestic abuse, but I think right now it's more focused on, I think, custody of her son or, you know, the way that the system has failed her and her son. And so, um, that's kind of like, I know where I know you now, but I actually have no idea about how you guys met and what really your story is. So when um, did you guys meet? And then how long have you been out of that relationship? Okay. Uh, So I had met him when I was 11 years old. We went to the same middle school. Um, At first I was like 
completely not interested in him and I like would always make fun of him and then one day he asked me for my number and like literally ever since he's just always been in my life in one way or another Mm -hmm. um so since I'm 25 now like he's been in my life for over half of my life wow um yeah so um I feel like we were just like always on and off in like school age you know and then we had a pretty like long run in high school like age and then I had moved to Colorado and he stayed in Arizona and we tried to do long distance and it didn't work so for a little bit we like went separate ways and then we ended up coming back to each other um he had moved to Colorado um and then he joined the military and we got married when we were 19 We moved to Virginia with the military, and I want to say everything really happened for me in July of 20, what year is it, 2023, I'll be 20, I had just turned 22 Mm. when everything happened, so Mm. Uh, like 2020 right yeah that would be 2020 yeah sorry um, I don't know why math is not mathing right now <laughs> it's never it's um, but, mathing for me so it's okay <laughs> um but like July of 2020 um he came from home from his third deployment um and I had found out that he had cheated on me through that deployment mm. and um everything like when when they're like anything can change in a second and it just flips everything like that is the most true thing ever because this he had been all I'd ever known and all had ever like been with and um I don't know like we had we had always like you know if anything ever happens like Kendrick is the most important like our son is the most important thing um like I we would never take him from each other. Like we would always be in each other's lives, no matter what we meant something to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, mm-hmm. it's like when he got caught doing something that was like, didn't align with the image that he wanted people to see, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, something just like snapped in him. And, um, I had went to Colorado to visit family and just because like I needed to get away and I took Kendrick with me and um at this time we were like trying to do like marriage counseling um but he wasn't living at home like we were taking space but still trying to do counseling and things like that because um as far as I was I just wanted my family like and while he was deployed I had got to a point where like his abuse was and still is it's so like covert and like I don't know because I have been with him so much of my life and like I really did grow up with him like he knows exactly how to even just down to the way he changes the tone of his voice or the way he holds his posture like he knows what buttons to press and how to press them and he 
he basically like extorted everything about me and like used it as a way to abuse me. And I didn't even realize I was being abused. Like the fact that he was away on deployment and I had an allowance. And there were times that like, if I couldn't get a hold of him, I would have to ask my mom to send me funds because I didn't have access to the bank accounts. And I had our son at home and I didn't know then, but I know now that that's, that's financial abuse. And that was another way to have control over me. Um, I'm not, I wasn't on our house. Like my name wasn't on our house, even though it was our house and it was marital property. Um, so he sold our house and I got none of it. And he used that money to um, abuse me in family court mm. through vexatious litigation. Um, but I have like gone to therapy because I thought I was the problem. And like, there are things that like, you know, everyone has things that they need to work on, especially like bringing into a relationship. And like, I had to go spend time in like a hospital because I was just so down bad. Mm. Um, and, um, okay. So back to July of like 2020 or whatever, I, um, we're trying to do marriage counseling. I was in counseling because I thought I was the problem because of all of basically that stuff that had happened. Um, I was like, I can't let this go. It's my fault. So I was kind of like going to therapy with the wrong intentions, I guess, because, it wasn't like there are obviously things I need like everyone can benefit from the therapy but like I thought I was like the abuser and now like I know that that is not true like I was being abused and sometimes I had to like adopt certain behaviors in order to survive yeah and I feel like that's something that not everyone wants to talk about (laughs) because you do you have to adopt these like behaviors even if they don't align with who you are in order to survive someone who is so calculated and uses everything that you are and weaponizes it against you 100% and like so I went through this whole like basically identity crisis I don't know like oh my gosh I am an abuser it is me I'm the problem I ruined my family I ruined everything but like now I know that that's that that is not true um so he had went and got an emergency restraining order against me um and that's how everything started he went and got an emergency restraining order or emergency protective order placed on me that extended to our son and got me kicked out of the house out of our marital house after I had just found out that he was cheating on me for basically our whole marriage and he was leaving marriage counseling to go be with this girl that he was cheating on me with um so was this girl that he had cheated on you with was this a separate girl from when he was um deployed no it's the same girl yeah and it's the same girl that he is with on and off now so they're still um but sorry I kind of lost my train of thought no you're good um I just wanted to pause for a second um I think you touched on like a few really like pivotal 
topics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, one of those is just like the covert like abuse and how, you know, a guest who I'd interviewed a while back, she said something that I like and will never forget. She was like, I didn't identify with the girl on the domestic violence poster. And so I didn't think I was being abused. And I thought that was really profound because I think a lot of us growing up are taught that abuse um, is physical and we, you know, don't really teach like teenagers about (laughs) the proper red flags to identify emotional abuse. And when someone is really high functioning, they can like mask abuse in forms that are extremely like toxic um, for an individual and can truly make an individual like go insane um, and develop even like mental health disorders uh, because they are under high amounts of stress for long periods of time. And like our brains, our bodies aren't meant to go underneath a level of stress that is not meant for us. Right. And so naturally our body is going to do what it can to protect and to survive, um, which can absolutely. Yeah. Can and all of these things mm-hmm. you would think would be like, all of these things are proven. And you would think that when it comes to a court case or in family court, they would take these things into account when making their decision but really it just pads the narrative of the abuser that you are crazy that you are emotional yeah and like it can make me feel crazy I still um my abuser is the ultimate gaslighter and I think that's one of the worst forms of emotional abuse Mm. um because also it's like an Instagram word now And so it takes away from the severity of people who do really experience it. Mm -hmm. And then also because you're always having to affirm your story or your experience, not only with yourself, but with everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And like, it's so hard when someone who is like, so definitively saying, well, that didn't happen. And, you know, like the narrative is already that you're crazy. So you do, you take a step back and you're like, did it happen that way? Am I crazy? Like, Mm -hmm. I always have to tell myself that like, the abuser isn't asking themselves if they're the abuser. Mm -hmm. And I'm always asking myself, like, am I the abuser? Am I the problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, gaslighting. is definitely like I remember I didn't even know what this term was like when I was married um I'd never no yeah me either it's isn't it wild like how much you learn once you're out of it or like on the other side you know and you're like oh wow that's what that was yes <laughs> it is. and like when you're in it though like you truly feel like you're going insane and mm-hmm. I remember like I would call I lived in Europe so I was in Germany my my ex-husband was German is German and um so I was in a different country and his family and him were just like awful and I would call my mom and I would like tell her like I'd replay stories and I'd even sometimes write them in my phone the way that I remembered them 
because I was, I knew that like he was going to change the narrative or flip it. And so sometimes I would keep notes of like things that would happen just to remind myself that this did happen. And my mom would be like, you're not crazy. Like she would always affirm it. And like, yes, I wasn't, you know, at that point where I was ready to listen. Um, but coming out of it and then like you learn and heal and in order to heal, you have to learn. Right. And so like the more that I learned, I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like gaslighting is. a Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Thing that is happening to so many individuals, but um, it can be really tricky to even to even like identify when you're being gaslit because it's just it's such a like sneaky tactic. Yes. Also, like I <clears throat> sorry. I have like a frog in my throat, of course. <laughs> um, but I feel like it's also, it makes you feel so crazy because it's so hard to like prove. Emotional abuse is so, there's no like physical markings of it. There's no indicator that doesn't just pad the narrative that they're pushing that you're crazy. So it's so hard for anyone to like see you. It's like, I explain this whole situation as like, I'm literally just in a black space and I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs and nobody hears me. Mm. And like my throat is raw and I'm like, how do you not see this? Like, how do you not? And nobody sees me and nobody hears me because I'm not covered in bruises. And like, even if I was, they wouldn't care. That's the thing too. Um, But now like with documentation and stuff, like I've had to like go through so many emails and throw so many past conversations and recorded phone calls and et cetera, et cetera. And like, it's so hard because I'm like reliving that trauma and like reopening that wound. But it also like, I'm like, no, this did happen. No, this did happen. You did say this, you did act this way. And so it's helpful because I'm like, no, I know my story. Yeah, I know my truth and I know what's happening. You said something about, um, like feeling like it's dark around you and you're screaming. And um, I just pulled back. This was like something that I wrote um, on the first episode. So it's very like timely that you say this because it's like the third season. This is the final season for the, for the one year that I've, what were, what was her name has been airing. And um, I wrote something that you just said that some, you said something that reminded me of this. I'm just going to read this little part to you. It says, um, it says, uh, like, for a while in an abusive marriage, you can fake it, you can maintain this image and keep up appearances or tell a version of the truth. But there comes a point where you just can't anymore because who you are simply isn't. It's like you're drowning, but nobody can see the water. And as you gasp for air, as you flail and scream, nobody responds, nobody runs to your rescue, and not because they don't care but because nobody actually knows that you're drowning and some will learn to swim. You're forced to, and you learn to swim with the currents. You're prepared for the high tide. You'll either swim or drown. 
It's bleak, but it's true. You have to fight for your way out. You have to want it. And it will take all of you, every ounce of you, to say no more. And it reminds me of what you just said because I feel like it's an epidemic of women and men who are drowning and like nobody can see the water and so many people are not like they're just not apt to see it and so we're over here it's also like so unbelievable sometimes that Mm -hmm. like I feel like people just can't Mm -hmm. even wrap their heads around it you know yeah 100% 100% yeah no that is exactly how it feels (laughs) yeah yeah um I did want to jump into so uh (laughs) this question um when did you realize that something was wrong uh where's the point that you realized that like something was not right and that this could be like abuse I know that what you're saying is even now that you're out um you like there's still that questioning of like am I am I the abuser like I totally resonate with that as well um as many that are listening probably do as well um and then I ask three experiences like so three pivotal moments in your like preferably in your relationship uh but it can be out as well actually um where you experienced uh abuse and something that you want to share um for others to listen because I know that like something that I've realized um every season is that people who listen to these episodes like they always find them and it's always like the right episode for them like they'll be like that's so crazy like xyz happened to me and like I thought this was so unique to me and so that's why I like to kind of pull out stories so that it can help others maybe identify with the abuse that they may not have you know may not hear from other people around them because nobody's talking about it I know you were just you have just said how like you have just gone viral on TikTok for sharing like a piece of your story mm-hmm. and um this like everything you're saying after has like resonated so deeply because I had something go viral on TikTok as well and like of course those are there's always like those people who just have to say something negative but it was the majority of women and people who are experiencing the same thing and they were like I didn't know I wasn't alone And like, I went through something like this, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why, like, I think it's so important to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, for me, it's, I feel like it's so hard to pinpoint like one thing, especially because in my case, I feel like the abuse really presented itself and really became more like aggressive in -hmm. nature after separation. So there are things like I remember from our time together, like like the silent treatment or like, you know, him just not being present. Like he would be home from deployment. He'd rather be drinking or doing something like going out with his friends than being home with us. And then like, you know, the the fact that I had an allowance and I didn't have access to bank accounts, like things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, but after separation. Um, there's so many things like I think I really realized obviously that first time when 
so um we had been living separately I had Kendrick at our home because that's where Kendrick had always been and that's where I lived um but he wasn't living at home and he had came one day to the house he broke in the back door of the house um and just started like going through the house like this is mine like just taking random stuff like this is mine this is mine and now I know that he was like trying okay I'll tell the whole story and then I think it'll make sense okay so he starts just taking stuff being so aggressive like this is mine this is mine okay Hendrick's in the house with me my mom is at the house as well and he's just being super aggressive and like um and then somehow we end up in our attic and we're like we lived in like a giant like three it was like a three-story house but in the city of Norfolk so it was very like slim and like tall you know so we're like way up in the attic and um it's like a finished attic we're not like in a crawl space anyway (laughs) um we're like way up in the attic because our son is home you know so my mom has our son and we're in the attic and I don't know I'm assuming we were arguing about my issue was always that he cheated. Like I wanted to get over it so bad, but it hurt me so deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was probably, and he's never admitted to it. Like I have proof, so much proof, and he will still to this day deny it. Mm-hmm. And so that was really hard for me because I just wanted him to admit it. Like I felt like there could be no closure and there could be no progress. If like, like I already knew, just say it, just say what you did, you know? And mm-hmm. like, so we were probably in the attic arguing about that and I don't know, it escalated and he had spit in my face. Whoa. Like he just in my face and he grabbed me by my neck and like basically drugged me down three flights of stairs <laughs> in our home and threw me on the front porch. Um, and locked me out of the house with our son in the house. And so I had never, like, I had never seen him like that, to that capacity, you know? Yeah. So I was really scared. Like, I had never seen that level of aggression or anger. So I was really scared, and my son was inside, and basically at that point, instincts took over, and... I grabbed a like pot that was on our porch and I threw it through the front window so that I could get in my house mm-hmm. into my son. And then he called the cops on me. And so when the cops came, he had already had an EPO that he went and filed saying that I was unsafe and et cetera, et cetera. And that my son couldn't be around me and I needed to be removed from the home immediately. So Essentially, he came in, started all this stuff, knew how to push all the right buttons to get the reaction he needed to affirm his narrative that I needed this protective order and that my son wasn't safe with me. So when I called the cops to protect me and my son, they were already on their way to protect our abuser. Wow. And um, yeah, and I was just so shocked. I was so shocked because... I was just so shocked because I couldn't believe he would, I have known him my whole life. Like I couldn't believe 
and like even now like there are things that he's done to me and like I, I still could never do to him yeah and I was just so shocked and I was shocked because I had marks on me and you know I was visibly shaken up and like there's even a recording my mom was able to record some of it and um this recording made it to the PCE evaluator um in our last like court round you know Mm -hmm. And she had dissected it. And in the video, I asked him to please leave me alone like 19 times. I tell him that he's scaring me 28 times in like a, it's like a, like a four to six minute video. Mm -hmm. And I'm begging him to please leave me alone. Please. I'm scared. Please don't do this in front of Kendrick. And like none of that mattered. And so the cops, gave me like five minutes to pack a bag made me hand my son over to a female police officer and told me I couldn't be in my home and then I watched as my ex packed my son up in his truck and took him so he got me kicked out of the home for no reason because he didn't even keep my son there he took my son and left and I don't know where he went um so that was obviously like my first like oh like oh my gosh like this is so this is really this is we're doing this I don't know like I don't even know I'm still like flabbergasted that that even why I think yeah. like that just you said something um that really moved me like you said like that you had called the police but they were already on their way to protect your abuser mm-hmm. and that just like shook me because I'm like that is just like it's heartbreaking and like the fact that you had something like that was able to give insight to like the it was a clinic or and and that they just completely like disregarded it um and you in in an instant like lost I mean it was truly like the catapult for everything that you know you're now experiencing in that Mm -hmm. that instant and it's just like a true injustice and it makes me like it makes my blood boil but it also makes me kind of nauseous I feel like every story that I hear I just like want to throw up and that's like yeah reaction but I just like I just get super nauseous because I just it breaks my heart but it also makes me angry um it brings up so many feelings because you're like angry it makes you nauseous and then I feel like the the biggest thing that people don't realize about like something like this and stories like ours and like the many stories that like you know you've helped people to share like it's like this injustice effect it's on all of us mm-hmm. when a child is lost to an abuser because mm-hmm. they didn't listen to us even though we're screaming at the top of our lungs we're constantly proving our abuse like it's an injustice for all of us mothers and it's mm-hmm. an attack on all of our children Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 100%. 100%. One of the things is like listening to you play out the story. I can very like clearly just because of like the, I think the work I'm doing, like I can 
very clearly see like the progression and um, understand in my own self how um, being under high amounts of stress and like being in a toxic environment, like with somebody, an individual like this, like it creates a rise in you. um, And like, like, how do I say this? Um, I'm not saying you're unstable or I'm unstable, but I'm saying that like when the person that should be the most steady for you and the ground that should be the most steady for you sort of crumbles underneath you and that person yeah. implodes, like your life implodes and that is yeah. naturally going to affect you emotionally. And so no, and you're I- not in that moment going to be like stable. And so it's like, yes. And like, I had this, like, I feel like anyone who doesn't know and hasn't experienced, you know, like anything like this, like you expect the the police to protect you. You expect women, especially women. Like one of my biggest shockers in all of this, like one of the things I found most surprising is like women are the worst of it. I feel like it was really a shocker for me. Like I thought just because we were, I don't know, you know, girl power, like the women would at least believe me or at least listen to me a little more than the men, you know? Yeah. And some of them are even worse at like accusing you of being crazy. It's like they have something to prove or something. I don't know. No, a hundred percent. I think like, yeah. I feel like Caitlin Jorgensen and like, you know, Mama Wilder like Mm. cover this a lot better than I am. (laughs) But that was like one of the most shocking things for me is like I thought because I had a female judge or a female GAL and I feel like you can relate to this with your experience being so fresh like yeah I don't know you think because you have a woman judge she'll be able to see that you know we're mothers you know you know what it's like to love a child to have a mother's love for a child like how could you do that right how could you make me hand my child over to you when you see clearly that I'm in distress right now Mm-hmm. And you're not questioning as to why, like, you're not questioning why I'm in distress right now. Yes. And you see this man and he's calm and cool and collected and calculated. Mm-hmm. And they don't see that as the abuse, which is mind blowing to me. They see that as the stability, mm-hmm. but human reactions are not unstable. Like I, and like in the family court system, and especially with domestic violence and things like that, you are punished for being a human at every single turn. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hundred percent, and I think that's why. Like, I mean, I haven't personally like had that phone call with Caitlin yet, but um, I know that you. I think soon. I'm so excited for you. You know, I that guys. I shared something on my Instagram story that some moms like collectively came together to support like a session with Caitlin Jorgensen, and Kale was one of them. Um, so I'm like super excited to meet with uh with Caitlin and and she, but she just provides strategy right on how to like remain. To how to have composure um yes really hard yes. strategy <laughs> and as well as like just basically safeguarding you and your case um arming you with language that makes you sound you know that really drives home your position in your case and does it in a way that makes you seem calm cool collected mm-hmm. non-emotional you know um I think that's she so- just empowered me in so many ways and given me like every time I talk to her, I apply something I've learned from her to my situation. And I swear, like, mm-hmm. ugh, I'm, I'm just really excited for you. I think it's, it's just going to be so good. Yeah. I'm excited too. Um, and I think like, <clears throat> like in the beginning, I remember like, because nobody really knows, nobody teaches you how to navigate a system while 
coming out of uh, an abusive relationship and fighting for custody of your kid. Like that, they don't teach that in school. Yes, there's no, there's no manual on this. We're all like learning as we're going, and yeah. <laughs> you think you think that like it's what's sad is that I think there's a like how do I say this like I was naive and I think many are in the sense that they don't understand like that proof does not really get you anywhere and Mm -hmm. like just because you think that this person is abusive does not mean anything in court and like you think that a system is set up to protect you and to ensure you I remember always thinking like oh surely like no this judge will grant me Um, yes no literally that's exactly how I went into this and Mm -hmm. I had people from the beginning like no you need to be calculated you need to play the game like you need to be smart and I was like no I'm not going to stoop to his level I'm not going to act the way he's acting I'm not going to and yeah I think one of the biggest things that changed the trajectory of my case to be in the poor place that it is is that I thought that they would care that I was a good mom. And I don't know, this may ruffle some feathers, but I know that I'm punished for being a good mom. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a really good mom. I am a damn good mom. Mm -hmm. And no one can tell me otherwise. And no one can ever take that away from me. I have given since the day I knew about my son, I was his primary caretaker. When all of this happened, I forget the math, but like, my abuser, had, like uh, my son's father had only been home like eight months total out of like the, like six or eight months total out of like the two and a half years of his life. It's wild. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I had raised him primarily on my own. So I was like, certainly they'll see this. Certainly, you know, I'm a good mom. I've raised him on my own. I've done everything for him. He's healthy. He's fine. He's nurtured, taken care of. Like, what reason could they have to not give me my son? And it's almost in my situation, it's a slap in the face too, because the judge did say all of those things. She said, you know, I've seen you make excellent improvements. You have been his primary caretaker. You have so much to offer him. You have family support and stability, you know, all these things. And then said, but I've decided to give, and then immediately said, but I've decided to give the father primary custody. And that video of you, like the video you shared, uh, yeah, that was a moment when I felt a pain deep like that. And I was just so shocked. I was floored because I did everything I was supposed to. And I got an evaluation that where my parenting and my parenting style and everything, like I scored so well and I did so good. And like, there are no red flags in my case to have had the outcome that I have. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I had so much faith, like certainly, you know, and you know, like it's also because the narrative is pushed that like everyone's for the mother. That's such bullshit. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's so <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. It is. Yeah. Like it's, I remember people would say, oh, New Mexico is a mother state. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's not a thing. That does like, not exist. No. And that's one of the biggest arguments people have when you're sharing your story. It's like, well, that couldn't happen. I hear all the time, there's something you're not sharing. You must be a bad mother. There's something you're not sharing. There's no reason a judge would do this. Blah, 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 blah. And like, there's so many reasons. They know what they're doing. If you 
if you take a child out of the system and you place them with a safe, protective parent where they're going to be nurtured and rich, probably seek therapy for the trauma that they have been exposed to thus far. You know, what does that do? That makes a good, that makes a good person in society. You know, that makes someone who has been taken care of and loved and nurtured and, you know, all the things that a person needs to be a good person Mm -hmm. and a loved person. And if you, you know, if you deprive them of that, you're going to get somebody, you know, who's going to be back in their system, which puts more money back in their pockets. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you really think about it like that, it makes sense because if the line ends when you know you give the the child back to the safe parent and you ensure their safety we're not coming back to court yeah we're not spending any more time here the child is safe yeah as they should be I used to think like before this whole thing like I would have been on the other side I would have been like well like not towards you but I'm just saying in general like because I didn't understand and haven't experienced it I would think well what did that mom do? Like, surely, like, oh, no, I say this all the time. I I say this all the time. I'm like, before this experience, I'm, I'm most certain I thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way that mother had to do something. There's no way, you know? And like, even I have people who come to every single, um, court date with me, my best friends, they're there every, they have never, we don't live in the same state. Like we live far away from each other. And my court is heard in Virginia. So none of us live there. And um, they come to every single hearing and they've said like, um, just really quick, if you're listening, I love you guys so much. Thank you for always being here. Um, (laughs) But they come to every single court date and, you know, they're like, if I didn't come with you, like, I would not believe this. This is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for those who are like listening, who are on that other side where, you know, maybe there is a a distrust in like what we're saying and, and not being able to understand that. Um, I'd encourage you to go and look at <clears throat> either um, Kale's story on TikTok or mine um, because I, I, I actually went to look at that video that had gone viral for you and I was reading through the comments and I mean, it exploded and you can mm-hmm. just see mother after mother after mother after mother um, with stories just like ours. And and who have lost custody. And so it's a real thing. And um, if you, if you don't believe it, I'd encourage you to talk to other survivors and to like, to dig deep into um, like, while it's uncomfortable and maybe it doesn't pertain to you. I think it's something that uh, it's something that you can do to equip yourself to better understand, I think, uh, something that's happening right now. And has been happening for a long time um, that I think is easy to overlook when it's not your own experience. Absolutely. I always say like, it's so hard. Sometimes I say it out of frustration, but when you really think about it, like it's so hard for people to empathize with something that they literally have never experienced. It could never possibly like understand. Yes. And like, you know, you really can't hold, (laughs) I mean, you really can't hold someone, you know, at fault for that it's hard to empathize with something like that and something so unbelievable but it's also just ridiculous to see so many people come forth and say this has happened to me this is my experience or you know and for people to still be like there's no way Mm -hmm. obviously there is like you had to read you had to comb through like 2,000 stories just like this to leave your comment Mm -hmm. you know I don't know (laughs) 
No, I think like, I, I agree. Like you can't fault, I can't fault somebody for not understanding, but the moment that like, the moment that they come across this and they choose not to press into it and lean into it to understand, I think then it's like, I don't feel like, I don't feel simple. Like I don't understand that. And I can't. Yes. Also, like, it's not my job to educate you. I feel Mm -hmm. like everyone, everyone wants to be like, okay, well, how does this happen? And like, they want me to like, give them statistics and research and cite my sources and all of these. That is not my job. That right. is not that, you know, there are, there are survivors who do that and they share, you know, right statistics and they st- share articles and they share petitions and like, awesome. Amazing. That is part of the work. That is not my work. My job is not to educate you. And, you know, I do share my story and I know that I am empowering and educating and doing that, but it's not my job to gather this evidence for you. Mm-hmm. it's not my job to gather the studies for you like if you're really interested do the work right yes you know educate yourself find the solution mm-hmm. and I think it's important like for people like to like people listening to just make sure that I think uh there are many um I feel like there's like almost a whole underground of like an Instagram for domestic like abuse survivors yes. like, that I found and now like my page is like wrapped around this, but most people don't, they don't follow those kinds of accounts. Right. Yes. So being on the other end and sharing your experience for others. And I think that that is something that you do on Instagram and something I do on Instagram, but I'm not necessarily there to like educate you and yes. give you statistics and neither is kale, but there are accounts. Like I would say Caitlin Jorgensen. I mean, she primarily focuses on on educating Education. and yes, I learned from her. you learn from her but you need to be cautious when you're trying to educate yourself to not press on survivors who are not there to educate you but to share just their story and to just mm-hmm. you know yeah I think that's so important yeah and you know yeah. I feel like if if anyone is listening you know well I mean obviously people are listening but like for those of you who are listening like if you've ever like thought about sharing your story and you're scared, you know, like that is so valid, but I feel like the only reason I'm on this podcast today is because I've shared my story and I've been publicly public about it. And I've been raw and real about it. The only reason I know who Caitlin Jorgensen is and, you know, it's because I've shared my story. I have made so many connections and found so many relationships and, you know, been, both inspired and empowered by people within this community, all because I've shared my story. Mm. And I'm like, it gets so hard some days. Like when I had, I don't know if you're having the negative comments on your TikTok, but when mine went viral, there's, there are some days when it was just negative, negative, negative. You're a bad mom. You're a horrible mom. And like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't happen to good moms or, or my favorite, welcome to what men have been going through. Shut up. (laughs) <laughs> like that helps nobody <laughs> nobody at all like no one was saying that men don't go through this like I don't know why the experience of women has to take away the, from the experience of men like I'm just talking about my experience that has nothing to do with like and also that doesn't make it better like we're talking about children here and protecting children like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. I don't know yeah no I completely I completely agree I've gotten I, I like I actually haven't like I have hadn't like I have not I've read comments but I can't go through them all because it gets I just get overwhelmed but yeah. I did one night I 
started to kind of pick through them. And I saw one, this lady was like, um, she was like, why do you film yourself recording? How disturbing, how disturbed are you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Why? Yeah. People are like, uh, well, go get your son rather than sitting here crying. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) Well, I'm down. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, but you know, this is also what is, how long did you take it? Mine's like 15 seconds. I'm like, damn. Y'all know so much based on 15 seconds and one line. I know. Like one line of explanation. You got, you got me figured out, huh? Yeah, I know. People... Oh, but all that to say, like, share your story because your voice matters and like it can help someone else. Like I know, like so many people have come to me and been like, you gave me the courage to leave. You mm-hmm. gave me the courage to even think about leaving. You made me realize that what I'm experiencing is abuse and I need to start taking the steps to safeguard myself from this. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, no matter, and you know, my ex is, tr- my ex always tries to be like, you slander me online, et cetera, et cetera. I don't say a single thing that is not true. I am allowed to speak my truth and share my story. And I encourage everyone to do that. And like, sometimes it does get hard. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I'll get just, Sometimes the comments, the negative comments, like they do affect you. And I'm usually really good at, about it, but sometimes it really does hurt. And mm-hmm. there are some days where I'm like, I, I don't want to share my story anymore. And then I get a message and it's like, thank you so much for speaking out. And even just one message from one person. And I'm like, all right, see you again to do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because I know that I helped one person or opened one person's eyes or, you know, even just shared Caitlin's story or, or someone's story, like, and connected them with those people like I did something and like it's well it's it's good when at all times I feel like so helpless in every other aspect you know like (laughs) yeah I think it's empowering to like come forward and share your story and I think especially when you are facing a system that's not listening I think the last resort really is to scream publicly um which is what Mm -hmm. you're doing and it's it's gaining traction Um, people are listening and people are watching and I think like from really young ages like we're taught to kind of like fit the mold of like what society requires of us and Mm -hmm. whether that be like conversation and the way that you um like I wrote I think I, I said something in my story the other day about like how um, it's almost like inappropriate to be human, like, and yes, sometimes like being like, granted, not everybody may feel a call to be public about their own personal trauma, but when you do come out and you do speak about it, it's freeing for you. Um, but it's also, uh, like a rope for somebody else to grab onto that may need it because they are drowning. And so I think that's what you're doing and that's what you're seeing. And I feel like as scary as it is, or it seems like it's more empowering. Like, I feel like the empowerment of it outweighs how scary it is to be so vocal about something like that. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Um, so did you, for the three experiences, did we finish that? Did you give me? Sure. Yeah. So there's that one. And that's when I basically was like, okay, so this is how it's going. This is like, this is the level that it's reached. Like I never, like, I'm serious. And we like, we would be like, we're never going to court. You know, we'll just be, if anything ever happened, like we're both here for Kendrick, we would just, you know, do what works for us as a family, even if we're not together. 
And so I was like, holy shit, like we're going to court, like, you know, and, um, but basically at that point he was just out of control. Like he went, so after that, I had an EPO, it was like 72 hours and I couldn't be around KJ. I didn't know what to do. I had never been separated from my kid. I had never spent a night away from my kid. One, okay. One weekend, his whole life away from my kid. And so up to this point, and never, never, never alone with his father. I he had never been overnight with his father alone. Um, and I didn't know what to do. So I went to the courthouse and I filed for emergency custody because I was like, this is what happened. And I told them, I told the judge, they put me right in front of a judge immediately. And I told the judge the whole story, how he dragged me down the stairs and how I called the cops, but he had already had an EPO on me, et cetera, et cetera. And the judge immediately granted me um, a PPO, which is a preliminary protective order. And because it was signed by a judge, it outweighed his EPO, which is an emergency protective order because it was just signed by a magistrate. Um, in the state of Virginia, you don't need, not in my case, because I was in front of a judge, but for him to obtain his EPO, like you don't need um, any proof. Like you just go in and you can say, this, per- this person makes this person X, Y, Z, I need a restraining order and they'll, they'll give it to you. Mm. That being, um, so yeah, I went and got the PPO assigned by judge. So because it outweighed his, I immediately was like trying to get Kendrick back. And he basically outran this PPO and like was essentially kidnapping Kendrick because no one could find him. Like the police couldn't serve him. So technically, um, he couldn't like, sorry, hang on, let me take a breath. So no one could find him to serve him the protective order. So technically he hadn't been given the protective order. Yeah. So technically Kendrick was still just in his care. Um, and so then I got Kendrick back and then he went and got like another EPO. And then, so because you don't need proof to like, to get your EPO, you also don't need proof if you to like proof that someone violated it. So what he would do is he would go to the magistrate on a Thursday, which is the worst day to do this. And I'll tell you why. Okay. He would say I violated the PPO or the EPO. And then the cops would come to my house and ar- arrest me and put me in jail for violation of a restraining order. And because I would get arrested on Thursday, I'd have to stay in jail Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday hopefully see a judge by Tuesday or Wednesday. He did this to me twice. Oh my gosh. Yep. So, and he did it on Thursday, both times. And so I spent like two weeks in jail. That's um, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was just most of yeah. Oh yeah. That was absolutely miserable. And you know what the thing is too, when you, like, when I finally had my hearing, I'd be like, well, no, I didn't because X, Y, Z. He had said one time, the second time he threw me in jail, he said that I had contacted him, but the dates that he said I contacted him was the first time that he had thrown me in jail. So I was literally in jail while he was accusing me of contacting him, breaking the protective order. So when I like I showed the judge, I was like, there's no way I could have been responsible for this contact. I was literally in jail. Yeah, like he shot himself in the foot. Yeah. So the judge, but the thing is, the judge is just like, okay, well, dismiss. So I don't have charges or anything, but I still lost a week of my life to jail and he was not reprimanded for lying. Right. I mean, I could sue, but like, you know, I don't have the monetary resources to do that, obviously, but like, there's nothing I can do. They're just like, okay, well, you know, you're not guilty, but there's no reprimands for him. 
Right. And you know, that, that was absolutely traumatizing. I'm not cut out for jail. Um, <laughs> no, but no. Nobody is. No, I think like in um side note in at work they put on the whiteboard like would you rather be in a coma for I think it's like like 10 years or be in jail for five and everybody put coma in for 10 years and yeah then, absolutely, oh, we're, absolutely. Not jail. we're gonna be in a coma yeah no, absolutely imagine. Um, um so that's when I was like okay he's just gonna be abusing the system and you know like that's when I realized that I don't know. It was just going to be this way. And so I feel like that was kind of like the second thing or like the second big, I don't know. And then, but I feel like that's not really like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Hang on. Okay. okay like at this point I had known like yes I'm in I was in an abusive marriage and I'm being post-separated like this is post-separation abuse but at that time like now I know but at that time I didn't know that this was post-separation abuse I was just like holy shit he's out of control like what is happening mm-hmm. but if any of you know one mom's battle and if you don't I would definitely go check her page as well yes. um Tina Swithin is a huge advocate and also a survivor and she has this wheel this post-separation abuse wheel and it has it's broken up into sections and like man every single one vexatious litigation you know um abusing you by filing bullshit motions or restraining orders um he started doing things like I don't know like calling the school that I Kendrick enrolled in and like he threatened them so bad that they wouldn't let Kendrick go to school there so and then would use that to see like oh she doesn't have him enrolled in school when meanwhile, like, they're like, I don't want to deal with whatever shit y'all got going on because he's calling, he's literally like threatening them. And like, just every single section of that post separation abuse wheel is like so on for my case. It's almost like he took that and that was his blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, all of this has been learned since like sharing my experience going into this. I had no idea this was even a thing, that this is a form of abuse. I didn't know what a narcissist was. Like I did not know any of this. And like, you know, narcissist is like a bad word. It's also like an Instagram word and it's overused. But um, it's so common for people with our experience and experiencing abuse like this to have it be done at the hands of a narcissist because they're like, the ones most equipped to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, so I feel like there wasn't really any like sort of incidents that I was like, okay, I was, I am being like abused or it was just kind of like a bunch of things that he was doing all the, like when I tell you a flip switched, like it was crazy. It was like something just switched inside of him and it was like completely different person. Like holes for eyes, completely different person. Like who he is now is not who I married, grew up with, had a child with. Like I don't know the person that he is, like post separation, you know? And then like there was, I guess the other big thing would be like he, the type of abuse experience, he's just so calculated that all of my stories that I share, you're like, okay. I see the bigger picture. Like I see his motives. So like he had told me like, you should move to Carolina, you know, or to, to Carolina, you should move to North Carolina because I had been like traveling there a lot and visiting there. And I had a friend here 
He was like, you should just move there. The schools are better. You'd be closer to family. Like, I think it would be a really good idea. So we went to mediation. We come up with this whole agreement, right? He signs, I sign. I leave to go to, to move to North Carolina. And I'm there. We get like six months in there, maybe. Sees Kendrick one time during this time, okay? Um, is on a six-week underway. So he couldn't see Kendrick during that time. He was gone. He was literally in the ocean for six weeks, okay? Comes back, gets a lawyer, and says that I have been alienating Kendrick from him for six weeks, even though he was in the ocean. No one facts check, fact checks this, by the way. Um, it's crazy. So, yeah. So he takes me to court saying that I fled with Kendrick moved to a state with Kendrick without his knowledge and that I've been alienating Kendrick from him because um, he hadn't seen him for six weeks, but he was underway. And that's what we went to court with. I also didn't know. Um, so like I had gotten notice that this is filed and I was to be in court like two days before I was to be in court. And I, at that point, had lived seven hours away. So I had no time to get a lawyer. I had no time to prepare. I didn't even know this was happening. Um, so I had to go to court pro se and I got steamrolled. Mm-hmm. I was like, your honor, he wouldn't give me an address. Cause like, yeah, also he had like moved and the roommate was like, dude, he's not living here anymore. And I was like, where are you living? Like, I need an address. Where's KJ going to be? <clears throat> like, where's our son going to be during this time? And he wouldn't give me an, ad- an address. So I was like, okay, well, you can't have parenting time, like per court order, no matter which one you want to refer to, like take, cause he take, he picks and chooses, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no matter which one you pick, like, you need to let me know where you're living. Right. And literally in the courtroom, I was like, your honor, I don't have an address for him. And the judge was like, okay, well, is it that, 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 And he was like, no. And his attorney was like, no, that's not the address. And then she listed off another one. And he was like, no, that's not the address. So the courts didn't have the address either. I didn't have the address. The courts didn't have the address. But apparently that was fine. And then the judge was like, well, it looks like he needs time to make up for the parenting time he lost. And I immediately had to give him our son for two weeks. Gosh. And I had never, it like immediately went to 50-50 in that aspect. And I had never, ever spent time away from Kendrick like that, ever. Um, I just like, I hearing that, like, I haven't yet had to part from my son, but... I mean, with the way that the judge just recently granted, like, that's coming. And I, like, can't, I can't fathom, like, the way no, I, I still, I don't know how I went from raising my son primarily on my own to seeing him one weekend a month. I don't even know how that's, like, I don't know how anyone could do that to a child. Yeah. And especially to someone that you're like, yeah, you've been his primary caretaker. You have so much to offer him. And now I see him for one weekend a month. And like, I live seven hours away. So like 14 hours of our weekend is spent driving. Like, I will say like, I can, I, I don't have to air this, but just for a pause, like, I don't know, like, I know that. I mean, you know that I'm Christian and like, I know that many people have very different beliefs and that's, you know, totally fine. I I feel like I meet just like so many different people through this experience, but, um, so you can like totally just like disregard it, but I just feel like I need to say this. Like, I just really, I just really believe like when you're saying this and you're talking about KJ, like I know that as a mom, um, 
like innately everything that you everything that you do like you want to protect him and to ensure that like he has a good childhood that he has good memories that he's not you know messed up by his dad and and through this experience that it affects him as he gets older like all these fears are very real and so i just want to encourage you like i know that like right now at this point in time like there is like a true injustice that's happening and you should have your son and you don't but i just want to encourage you that like i believe that god does have kj and in some ways, as painful as it is, and it shouldn't be happening. And I don't think this is the father's heart for you in motherhood, but like at this point, like your hands are open and like, he is at this point moving forward, like in God's hands, because like, there's nothing that you can like physically do to help him. But like, I do believe that like KJ is like shielded and covered. And I don't believe that like whatever your ex may be telling him, or, you know, it's, probably traumatic for him to be it's definitely traumatic for him to be away from his mom um I just strongly believe that KJ is like shielded from that and like that I think that sometimes like what can be really scary is like at least for me is I think about how it's going to affect my son as he gets older like how he's going to handle um knowing that this is his father that this is you know what what's going to happen to him and and um so I just have to like trust that he's in God's hands and I know that that yeah. seem or feel like angering for some because it's like well he's in God's hands like how could God allow for this to happen for him to be away from me in the first place but that's not yep. the part for like you and like he's that is not his that is not his doing and I really really believe and just want to encourage you and speak that over KJ that like he is so shielded from this that I really think that like there's going to come a point in time when he's older where you're going to be like, how did you end up the way that you did? Like you, you seem so like just shielded by like what happened to you. And I think that he is going to like live a life where it will be steady and he's not going to have the repercussions of what his father's doing right now. I really believe that. And so I just want to encourage you in that, that like, God, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Leave it, leave it in. Don't edit it out. <laughs> thank you for saying that because no those are all of my biggest fears when it comes to this and like one of the things that my people say to me you know that really resonates with me is like I need to have more faith in the child that I raised and in the child that I know that my son is mm-hmm. than I do in his father mm-hmm. like I need to have more faith in Kendrick to be able to see what's really going on than I have in his father for being able to you know manipulate and abuse our child and like but no that's you know and like you said you know we have this innate um desire to protect and you know this maternal which also this maternal like also is synonymous with like this primal like this primal maternal instinct to protect your child and every time I have to give him back it's like going against every red flag in my body every bell and whistle is going off like this is not safe this is not what you should be doing he's not safe and like you have to go against that like you don't have a choice and you know I do I do like I don't really know uh, like what my beliefs are like I know that there's something bigger than me and bigger than this and like you know whether it be God or the universe but um 
I try really hard to just be like, you know, Kendrick is protected and, you know, I don't know why this is happening, but one day it'll make sense and, like, one day it'll be okay. One day it's not going to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the reason I experience, not a lot of the reason, but, like, I know that part of the reason I'm someone experiencing this and, like, this can be true for you and maybe this will resonate with you. Um, is to help other people, mm-hmm. which sometimes I'm like, this is such bullshit. Like, why do I have to go through this yeah. in order to like help other people? But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, like, you know, like if I can make anything good out of this situation, I'm going to, but like, yeah, I think that, yeah, something that I like have come, I've come to grips with, I think is like, it's been hard to come to grips with is just like that. Um, I look at sometimes like families on Instagram or like people I know that yes. I go to college with or whatever. And I see like their happy little like family posts and I get like kind of angry because I'm like, why? And do then I- it, isn't that a yucky feeling? Yeah. I get, I feel like this is important to talk about too. Like I, I share all my yucky feelings with like my people, like my support group, because you know, it's a safe place, but like having those like really yucky feelings is like so normal like mm-hmm. of course you're gonna you know look at these families on Instagram you know or these you know especially you know we're all just getting out of the holidays so I feel like that might be where this is like kind of coming from but like everyone seems so happy and you know those kids are so lucky to have both of their parents and you know and it wasn't supposed to be this way I feel like in that we're like mourning and grieving something that we wanted for ourselves and our child and our family like of course we didn't want this you know right and like sometimes like I also I also get those like yucky feelings like I'm so angry or like you know I'm so jealous like this isn't fair that should be me that was supposed to be me that was supposed to be our son you know and um I just feel like that's so valid like I don't know yeah. To, to feel angry about that or to feel but I feel like deeper than like being angry about it you're just mourning you're like you're mourning and grieving that for yourself and for your child and that's so valid yes um yeah. I've even been guilty too like I've had to take it in like doses like I've been guilty too of like oh my gosh why did it work out for her like I'm so glad she got a good judge but like why didn't I get a good judge you know like and that is so yucky and so ugly and like I obviously that's not coming from like a true place inside of me but for a moment you know you're like wow that's so good for her like why didn't why couldn't I get a judge like that why couldn't my child be protected like that you know yeah I mean it's difficult to celebrate victories when you you're not experiencing that victory and like it it revolves around like something like your child I mean it's it's hard to like, it's, it's like, I think it's, I love that you said like, it's a very real and very valid because I think sometimes like as survivors, like we can feel guilty of that, those feelings, like they're not warranted, but they are, and they're very real. Yeah. And And that's why I wanted to say it because like, I really do struggle with this. Like, Oh, I don't want to feel that way. Feeling that way and having that thought like, well, like it worked out or like, you know, feeling angry or whatever, like it makes you feel bad. Like you reflect and you're like, oh, what does it say about me that I'm not celebrating their victory, you know? But I just want to like say like that feels so valid, but that is so valid. And, you know. Yeah, I think many will resonate with it because it's really real because I think it'd be easy to be like, no, like 
like just like like remain positive like celebrate yeah and everything is gonna work out and like but it's like no like like it right now it sucks and like it's really hard to celebrate victories when like you're consistently having judges who are letting you down and you're seeing injustice in your life and it's okay to feel like that like we don't have to remain in that space right but like it's okay to feel these things yeah because we're human (laughs) yeah it's okay to be human (laughs) it's okay yeah um so a question I I don't know if you we can jump into the climax now like the most painful part of your story I feel like you've kind of already shared I mean it seems like those are the most painful parts but that's typically the question I would ask I didn't know if you had another experience or I think the most painful part yeah was just like I don't know like it just kind of like progressed like at first it was like the most painful part was obviously being forcefully separated from KJ even though it only lasted like a couple nights and I was like oh my god and then you know it just like gradually like gradually like got worse and worse and worse so I guess now the worst part was definitely when like I there was no reason for the judge to rule the way that she did like I had a perfectly I have an amazing PCE you know I had the evaluator the therapist there to testify for me like I my I had so many things set up to I was set up for success essentially like I did the parenting class I did everything there was no there's no reason for this to be happening right now and so and I think like the biggest thing for me was like she was literally like you have been his primary caretaker you have made great improvements you know there's not a bad thing about you in this PCE you know you have so much to offer the child you have support and family you have such a secure bond and attachment with him but I've decided that I'm going to give the father primary custody I don't know how you can say all of those things. I don't even know how you can have the audacity to say all of those things. And then in the same breath, followed up with that. I was just floored. Yeah. Absolutely flabbergasted. Like just like so much so that I didn't even have an instant reaction. I immediately stood up, looked at my attorney and I said, we're appealing it. And I walked out of the courtroom because I was like, what, what the fuck? Like, or what the heck? (laughs) 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 you're totally fine yeah um but I was just shocked I was just absolutely shocked and then it like and it was rewarded you know I had him so but I had him that summer like I had him for the summer so my hearing was in June I had him for the summer so I didn't have to give him back he was already with me it was my parenting time during our court date so I had to go there but I already had him so I got to keep him for the summer so I feel like that like kind of took away from some of the blow of it because you know I was going home to him and like when I'm with Kendrick nothing else matters like and like in the moments when I'm away from him it's literally like I don't know okay do you know Twilight Maya do you watch Twilight yeah like the movies yeah like the yeah, movies. Yeah. Okay, you know when Bella in the in new moon is just sitting there and it's like October November December she's just sitting there and like the world's going by her and like that's literally what it feels like and then like in the last movie you know she's like all or like the second last movie she's like all sunk in and like 
like dehydrated and then like the venom hits her and she like plumps back up and can like see color again mm-hmm. like that's what it feels like when KJ comes home like mm-hmm. it feels like I don't know like there's lungs in my air again and there's color in the in the world again and like everything starts moving again and so like I feel like he came home and like or I mean he was home and so like it kind of took away from the blow um but then in September you know that's when we started the um one weekend a month and so this is the first time this is the longest like this is the most we've ever been apart ever his whole life that's sweet so this just started happening in September yeah oh okay wow so we were in court for like a long time and then and then we basically we this is what I mean about vexatious litigation like he did all that stuff in court filed all those (coughs) excuse me we did all that in court like he filed all those restraining orders all that stuff and then it just ended in okay well Actually, what happened was I finally had a leg to stand on to press domestic violence charges on him, which would have been criminal charges, which if anyone is listening and you know Caitlin Jorgensen, she will say like, this is one of the biggest things to do is to get a criminal case going. Um, And I had started the process of that. And as soon as I did, everything changed. And now I think on the outside, I understand what was happening. But in the inside, like, I didn't want to be doing this. I'm a single mom who was financially abused like I don't have the funds to be paying for a lawyer and going to court every single fucking every every week like you know yeah yep so as soon as I saw out criminal charges for the domestic violence and I had a case and I had like to stand on everything changed and suddenly he was like well if you drop this I'll drop the custody case and we can go to mediation and I was like okay because obviously like I didn't know what I was doing I'm like you said there's no rule book for this there's no manual on how to navigate this right and so like that sounds great no more court like that's not perfect we'll come up to a mediation agreement it'll be great da 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 um but he just did that so that I would drop his drop the domestic violence charges and then we spent like three hours in mediation and he was like oh yeah by the way I'm not signing that unless you sign over your rights to child support so another thing another like way he coerced me um and then it worked like that for a while like on paper it was 50 50 we both lived in the same state but I had always had Kendrick and it was basically like he would come around when he felt like it you know mm-hmm. like even there have been so many times like it was his weekend and be like oh well he wants to be with you like I have so much evidence of like or, oh, he's with me, but he he can't fall asleep without you. Can you please come get him? Like things like that. Like technically on paper, he just wants it to be 50-50. It's all about the image. Yeah, yeah. Like to the point where like we had to split like a day because he I could not even have a day more than him. Like we had to have the same exact days, hours, time with him. It's like literally 50-50. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It also shows his motives. Like, I don't know how that doesn't show the underlying drive to do what he's doing um so it worked like that for a while and it was fine and then he was like that's when he was like go to North Carolina and I was like okay so we went back to mediation came up to like with a mediation like a sorry like a third-party mediation not like court-ordered mediation you know like we sought somebody out and did mediation with them and then 
signed and everything. In signing the mediation agreement, it was supposed to be like in signing it, we agreed to make it a court order. So he had signed, we both signed. So technically I was fine, but he didn't, he wouldn't do the next steps after I'd already moved to make it a court order. So when it came time for court, they were like, well, we default back to the previous court order. Basically the mediation agreement didn't even matter. So he had all the leg to stand on to say like, I fled and et cetera, even though his signature is on the paper. And this is the same mediation agreement that like covers this, like the sale of our house and things like that. Like I had agreed he could have the sales of the house if I got to move to North Carolina. But that mediation agreement, he says, doesn't isn't valid when it comes to my move so that he can say I fled. But when it comes to the sale of the house, I should have gotten some of it since that agreement wasn't valid, right? But suddenly mm -hmm. then it's valid. So mm -hmm. just things like that, like always picking and choosing and stuff. And I definitely went on a tangent. I forget your original question. Oh, <laughs> you know, like this just, this just started happening in September. So yeah. So then we were in court for months and months and months. And it was like 50-50. Kendrick was two weeks with me, two weeks there. And then my ex got, like had enrolled him in school. Mm. So basically ensuring that his resident state was Virginia. Um, and so, yeah, this has all been since September. So it's still kind of like fresh in the grand scheme of things, like September, October, November, December, January. But like, it's still like, it's too long. It's too much. I, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been following your story for a little bit now and like just reading about you and KJ and um, it's, if you guys don't know Kale, um, you should definitely like follow her journey. Um, what is your Instagram? It's Kale. Kale Honey. Kale Honey. K-A-E-L. So it's not, K it's Kale like the vegetable, but it's spelled K-A-E-L and then Honey, H-O-N-E-Y. Yeah. Um, because your journey is, is super heartbreaking, but also I think it's, I mean, I can just see, it's very evident how much you love KJ and the mother that you are. And thank you. So hearing your story, and I, I mean, this is like, you know, <laughs> like you've known him since you're 11. And so like, this is just a fraction, not even a fraction, I feel like of your own experience with him. Um, but he's, I mean, just hearing the way that he's dragging you through the mud is, um, makes me nauseous. Like I just, I just feel nauseous. Um, I don't know, if yeah. hurt, but I just like, makes yeah it makes me feel sick um and it's like I don't know I feel like I'm like learning from so many so many moms like even though I, I have this podcast like it's I mean I've only been out for two years and I feel like in as far as custody goes I think you're ahead of me in on the trail and so I'm watching you and I'm learning from you and it's just like uh it's scary because even Caitlin she was like she said something when I brought up the Hague convention, cause that's something that my husband, ex-husband filed under. And she was saying like the probability of, you know, seeing a child go back to a mother is very low. Um, because it's just, there's a massive injustice happening and people are not, I mean, the chance of a mother being awarded like full custody of a child is very slim. And it is. And the narrative is that it's like the most common thing. It's like you just show up as a mom and they're like, okay, full custody. That is so far from the truth. It's actually like 
And like the pe- the thing that people don't realize is like if you bring up domestic violence, usually that's what loses your case. That's like a red flag for court. Like, it's a red flag for court. You think, yeah. oh my gosh, this is going to safeguard me. They're going to see he's abusive. No, they see why'd you stay with an abuser? Well, you're just as guilty as him. Why'd you expose your child to to an abuser? Just because he's abusive to you doesn't mean he's abusive to the child. And even like lawyers and stuff, like I've noticed that like attorneys like don't want it. Like there are, if you have enough money for sure, they'll deal with your domestic violence case. But like, if you are like a single mother trying to get by and you're looking for an attorney and it's a revolving custody and domestic abuse, like they don't want your case. And so it's just kind of crazy because it's a red flag for the system. It's a red flag for attorneys. And it's like, it's just like, who help who, who helps you? Like, how do you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I know that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Another, I know we could go on that. Too. <laughs> um, so one of the final questions I wanted to ask is um, like, what is, I know that this question I think will be different for you maybe, but like, what is something that you can do now that you couldn't do when you were with him? And maybe that feels a bit gray um, right now, because like at the end of the day, KJ is the one thing that's still not. Yeah. It's almost like you're out, but you're not because. Yeah, no. Um, I say this all the time and I feel like it's just like really important for people to hear. Like it is so, so brave to leave. Like obviously it's so brave to leave, but I understand why people stay. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's so important to say because there are so many days when it gets so dark that I'm like, I wish I would have stayed. I wish that I would have stayed because I would be around my son and I would be there to protect my son and nothing else matters if I have that and I'm doing that you know yeah and so like I just I just feel like that's so important I always feel like that's important to say is like yeah it's so brave to leave but I also understand staying and like it's a it's a different bravery you know yeah. it's like a different but because it's hard it's so hard to be away from my son um I, you know, there are people who are like always encouraging you to find who you are outside of being a mom. And that's great. And like, of course, you know, but I found myself when I became a mom. Mm -hmm. I found my purpose. I found my reason for being here. I exist so that Kendrick can exist. I exist to be his mom. It is my greatest blessing. It is my biggest joy. It is I eat, breathe, sleep, being his mom my best days my most successful days are the days where I know that he was so well loved and so well taken care of and we did so many activities and he learned so many things that is my best day that's my most productive day so I've definitely had like a whole identity crisis like what am I what do I do who even am I Mm. if I'm not you know I've been stripped of my motherhood I see him for two or one weekend a month you know that I don't even raise him anymore I don't have any say on who he is anymore none of that is me right now it's his dad and you know it's just really hard um yeah but I think like I have so much freedom now to do literally anything like and like it's like I have it's hard though because like I can't even be like well because I was financially abused like I have financial freedom I don't 
because I'm abused in the form of vexatious litigation. Like I'm always having to shell out money for legal fees or, mm-hmm. you know, education or therapist or whatever it is, something to do with court, filing, mm-hmm. paying a fee, something. So I don't even have that sort of like financial freedom, but I think just like the overall, like I go to bed at night knowing that I'm not being abused or cheated on. That's super nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and like, I don't know. It's been, it was like so scary, but like knowing that I'm, I'm still here, you know, I'm still here and I'm still above water and I'm still figuring it out without him taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And like, for, I guess like lack of better words, you know, like I was, financially supported like I always had a roof over my head the bills were always paid and in that sense so I think like now like it's been really rewarding to see like you know I've lived in my home for a year now over a year now so that's stability and Mm -hmm. you know um all my bills are paid I always have you know food in the fridge and you know so like things like that, just like realizing like I am capable of creating structure and stability and a safe home for me without somebody. Like yeah. I can do it on my own. Yeah. And so that's been really rewarding, but I don't think like right now, like there's, because I don't have KJ, like you said, like everything is kind of just, I feel like I'm just stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like in this weird transition <laughs> Yeah, this just like plateau. What do you feel like are your like visions and dreams now? Like ideally, you can we can talk a little bit about what you've been doing with the Etsy, but also like kind of just what are what do you envision for your life in the future? Um, I just want to be safe and happy with Kendrick like I just want us both to know safety and peace like I don't want to have to give him back to somebody he's begging me not to give him back to I don't want to have to spend more days worrying about him than I do knowing he's safe yeah I just like all I want I don't even care what that looks like where it is I don't care like I just want us to be happy and at peace and safe together there's no reason for us to be apart it's like the biggest like injustice for us to be separated especially with the bond that we have um so yeah and like I don't know I don't know in exactly which ways but like I said like I know part of the reason that I'm someone experiencing this um is because one day I'm going to turn all of this into something to like help other people and like I'm even doing that right now even just by like you know sharing my story or in whichever ways I do it I don't that's what I'm saying like I don't really know how (laughs) but I try to do what I can now to like help other people going through this but I know one day that I will use all of this to kind of like Caitlin does you know like help really help people go going through this and I don't know what that will look like for me, but I feel like that's definitely part of this. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. With the with the Etsy stuff, I'm just kind of like yeah. driving into all, like my creative side. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just 
there's something inside of me that's like just keep doing it and I'm like all right (laughs) so I don't know where it's going or what I'm doing but I'm just gonna keep doing it for now (laughs) yeah I'm really like I feel like this episode and like your story gives us a different perspective because um a lot of people I interview are like um they don't have children for some reason like so I've just had a lot of guests who um this question when I ask it like they are truly out um yeah but you have a kid like you're tied to that person and it's like you know the power struggle of like them wanting to drag you through court and um it's not really yeah I think all the time of like how far along how out I really would be Mm -hmm. if things were different like you know if he was really reprimanded for the abuser that he is like I would you know my son would be in a Montessori school the way that I want him to be um I would have like a nice new reliable vehicle you know I would have just not that like those but like I don't have the freedom still to like do all of those things because I'm so tied up still in this situation so it's like I can't really know full healing or like full healing is going to take triple the amount of time as someone who doesn't have a kid or you know doesn't have to always reopen these wounds or always relive this trauma like it's all the time you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so it makes healing like a really long process and I have I've come so far and like even talking to you, like I see, like being on the other side, like I was saying, like I can see how the situation was then and like how I felt during that. But like being on the other side, like I can see his true intentions or what really happened or why I responded the way that I did, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's cool to be able to see like the gross full circle. Um, And I know that like people who are listening now are going to be impacted. And that's been really neat, like to be on the, to to be on the other end and to uh, watch as like the season airs. And then as months go by, people will reach out and and they'll be like, oh yeah, I heard this girl's episode. And it's crazy because I just realized my boyfriend is doing all those things. And I just left him. Like someone was like, husband my husband listened to it and realized like he has abusive tendencies and he put himself in therapy. That was like one of the like craziest ones for me. And like, he's in therapy right now. And yeah, so it's like, I know people will listen to this and people who have kids who may not be able to resonate with certain things. And they're going to resonate so deeply and so raw with yours because you've just showed up in such a real and raw way today that like, I'm just eager for people to listen because I know that there are humans out there who need this they need your story, your and KJ's story. Like that's the story that they need to hear. Thank so. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, oh my gosh. It seems like I'm not, I don't know, like emotional, but I'm always just crying all the, all the time. <laughs> I cry for every emotion, like angry, mad, ha- happy, sad, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't tell anyone I was coming on this podcast because, you know, we kept missing each other, I feel. Um, So I feel like it's going to be a surprise for everybody, like literally everybody. (laughs) No one knows I'm doing this right now. Um, But I do hope, I hope that my story reaches even to somebody or helps somebody or gives somebody even just the courage or the power to take that next step or find their voice in a different way. Like I was like saying earlier, that's a huge reason why I do share my story. So 
thank you so much for giving me like another outlet and like platform. And I hope that this is a good final episode. It is. I know it does at home. No, it really does. I'm just like, uh, I don't know, Kale. Like, I just love you already. And like, I just, I don't know. You're no, just. Oh, I feel that back so much. I've like, I don't even know. I think you found me. I don't even know. Probably yeah, through I one did, of the yeah. mutual page- pages that we both follow. But like, immediately I felt a connection with you. Also, like, you outside of your experience, I just love your overall vibe. Like, I love your approach to Christianity. I love how, like, inclusive you are. Um, I love, I just love, like, everything you share, you know, even your little graphics and how you share them and just your overall vibe. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I really see you and I love you so much too. And I'm just so glad we had this opportunity to talk and, like, I'm excited to see where our relationship goes forward and how we can show up for each other yeah no same 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 um yeah okay guys well (laughs) this is the final episode of season three which is like super exciting because we're like coming on a year of what was her name uh which is like I'm just like grinning ear to ear because I just like I remember hearing I, I remember I had a dream and I felt like uh I was supposed to start a podcast and it would be called what was her name and it was something that I felt God gave me um a dream and um maybe for some that sounds odd but for me I really believe that he p- put this here for a reason and I had no idea how to start a podcast no idea what garage band even was and it's very very humorous to me to be sitting here a year later and to have three seasons down and to have made so many friends that I truly know are going to be for life um, through this experience. And so I'm really excited um, for season um, two. No, no, season four. <laughs> because season I- four. <laughs> and um, yeah, while it's it's really painful stories, um, and maybe that sounds odd to be excited about something like that, I know that it's helping people. And I know that it's giving women and men a voice. And that's what this is about. And because we want to know your name. And so uh, I'm really grateful for everybody who's listening to this. If you've been impacted by what was her name? um, Yeah, just consider sharing it to Instagram, even if it's a personal message, text that you think someone may need to hear this. Um, please share it. It helps so much get the word out. Um, if you've been impacted by this podcast and would like to leave a review um, or rate it on um, Spotify, that helps as well. Um, again, Kale, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's an honor to be here and to like be able to just even talk with you. And I feel like we keep just coming back to the theme of like, Obviously, this is a horrible thing to be able to connect in, but it's also really beautiful to find someone who can understand in such a situation that is so hard to understand. So I'm so glad to be here. I'm so grateful to be here. And um, even just everything you've shared with me today, you know, the things you were called to say and share to me, like I needed to hear those things too. I needed to be here today too. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, of course. All right, guys. Um, tune in you know I to be honest I don't know when the next season's gonna air um 
really don't. I'm pretty tired right now and I've got to get organized and get my team together. So I will keep you guys posted. All right. Thanks guys.